Let us join together in a prayer for illumination. Merciful God, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. By the power of your spirit at work among us, may your word open us. May we know your life-giving, active word to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11. It plays significantly in the backdrop of our New Testament passage from Hebrews 4. And some of the opening lines follow quite appropriately uh, upon uh, Anthony's solo. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are people whose hearts go astray and they do not regard my ways. Therefore in my anger I swore they shall not enter my rest. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As many of you know, we have been working our way through a series focused on the Sabbath this summer. What it is, what it is to honor it, receive it, why it is so urgently needed, who, of course, is behind the promise of Sabbath. Today we'll continue looking at the theme of Sabbath by looking at the book of Hebrews. But today, instead of considering the Sabbath as one day in seven, the book of Hebrews points to the Sabbath promise as an ongoing, continual reality that we have made available to us in Jesus Christ. Quick background before we hear the scripture read. The author of Hebrews is writing to the early church at a time where it seems some measure of persecution is probably on the rise. What is also evident from the letter itself is that some or a significant portion of the early church to whom this is addressed is falling into something of an apathy about their following of Jesus. Some are not meeting together as regularly. Some seem to be falling away from their faith. Some are just tiring in their endurance. And so the author of Hebrews has this extended exhortation to the church, an exhortation that for large portions of chapter 3 and 4 center upon the theme of rest. In a moment we'll explore what the author means by that rest, how that invitation works, but, but first let's hear just a portion of this longer argument by reading from Hebrews chapter 4 verses 6 through 11. Since therefore... It remains open for some to enter God's rest. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he sets a day, today. Saying through David much later in words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later about another day. So then... 
A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was doing a physical therapy session earlier this week, and my physical therapist shared this interesting paradox about muscles. He said, people sometimes think that if you just let tense muscles rest and do absolutely nothing, those muscles will finally relax from all the tension that's built up. They just need to sit still. Actually, he went on, if those muscles remain without most motion, they just tighten further. The fibers thread together even further, and what you get are these really hard knots. Extended inactivity actually hardens muscles. As he said this, I thought to myself, as I was working on this particular passage at the time, well, that sounds a lot like the diagnosis the Bible makes of the Israelites when they fail to enter the promised land. You recall the Exodus story. God defeats Pharaoh, frees the Israelites, takes them out of slavery in Egypt, takes them across the parted sea, and and then leads them towards a land, a promised land. This land was to be their, their rest A physical space in which they would know provision, abundance, no war, a home. And you can read in Numbers 13, chapters 13 and 14, how there were some spies, 12 spies sent by Joshua to assess the promised land God was going to give them. And and 10 of those 12 spies, maybe you remember the story, they return and say, you know, we scouted the land. That is good, fruitful land flowing with milk and honey. But there's no way we can have that promised land because there are giant people living there. And the cities are fortified. And the people who do go there are devoured their summary statement is we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked to the same to them as they look at what is right before them all they can see are the ways this can't be done won't get done will lead to failure humiliation death and so they stop moving or at least stop moving with any sort of trust in God which is to say They have hardened hearts. As Psalm 95 puts it, Hebrews 4 puts it, other places in scriptures recall. Hardness of heart. It's this condition that occurs when a trusting motion in God's direction ceases. Hearts instead turn to knots of fear, resistance, no real movement. And so the author of Hebrews writes in verse 6, Those Israelites who formerly received the good news, the promise of a land of rest, they failed to enter. They, they, They did not move into the rest. Hardened hearts. Hardened muscle. But, he continues, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. There's still a promise into which God's people might move. Importantly, though, the word for Sabbath rest shifts the locus of the promise. God's no longer talking about a physical land being given as the promise of rest. In fact, the Greek word right here in Hebrews for for Sabbath rest, it's unique to the entire New Testament. 
and it refers to a spiritual rest. It's akin to the rest Jesus invites when he says, Come, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a word that has connotations of peace and joy, even harmony. It has an ongoing sense to it. It is this groundedness, not physical land, but the groundedness of peace and joy in Jesus Christ given both today and for all eternity. And the author of Hebrews considers this to be just centrally important. And so he says, make every effort to enter that rest. Urgently strive. Do your best. Keep at it. Those are other ways the phrase is translated in different versions of the Bible. Importantly, the, the, the author is not saying urgently strive so that if you work really hard in this or that manner, you can earn or attain to the peace and rest of Jesus. No, no, no. The idea is that in the motion of striving and working and faithfully moving, we discover the rest that is already ours. We might back up to Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 2. I didn't read this. The author there is diagnosing the failure of the Israelites. He said, look, the message they heard, the promise they were given, it was of no value to them because those who heard didn't combine it with faith. They, They heard the assurance, the promised rest, but they didn't combine it with faith. They didn't make a movement in following God and discover the gift that was already theirs. Or or again, I like actually how my physical therapist went on with his little muscle lesson he gave me. He said, what what you really want to do to loosen a tight muscle and make it more limber, make it strong, make it flexible, what you really want to do is work it out. Put it in some healthy motion, even use weights. But make it work and it will become limber and strong and actually it won't be tight. The muscle in that kind of motion will discover its natural resting state. By way of motion, it will discover the rest. You want a, health, you want a tight muscle to discover a healthy rest. Put it in motion. Or maybe put another way, the faithfully active muscle is the truly rested muscle. The faithfully active church is the church that is rooted in a rested peace that transcends all understanding, is in a truly rested joy in season and out of season. And so what then does 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 faithfully active motion look like wherein we discover the rest that is ours. Well, the author of Hebrews doesn't impact that specifically in chapter 4. You have to jump to chapter 11 where the argument really starts to crescendo into a high point. And maybe some of you remember how chapter 11 begins with this famous definition of faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for And the assurance of what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And the assurance of what we do not see. And then just so the author is abundantly clear. Faith is not just some kind of mental assent. Or or merely an inner assent to a list of beliefs. He goes on to explain that faith always emanates in motion. In fact, 
if you read chapter 11, he spends the entire chapter talking about how by faith, so and so a person did this. By faith. In this confidence of hope and assurance of what is not seen, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham went and left his home. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, Rahab welcomed spies. Time and again, chapter 11, faith is emotion, building, going, choosing, welcoming. Each activity absolutely entailing real risk, real uncertainty, near term even as there existed a confidence and hope and assurance of what is not seen because God is faithful. And and I love, by the way, the author of Hebrews explores the motion of faith by pointing back to such deeply imperfect people. He mentions the same Noah who gets visibly drunk before his family. The same Abraham who, who lies about his marriage to Sarah. The same Moses who killed a man and told God time and again he was not up to speaking to Pharaoh, the same Rahab who makes her living as a prostitute. I took a preaching class about three, four weeks ago at Fuller Seminary, and during that time we studied some of the sermons of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's famously known as the German theologian and pastor who who stood up to the Nazi regime, ran an illegal seminary underground in Germany to raise up another generation of faithful leaders. He was ultimately captured and hung in a concentration camp at the age of 39 because of his resistance to the regime. And so he's remembered as this uniquely intelligent, bold leader, and he is. He was. But at one point in the class, we're looking through one of his biographies, and in a particular passage talks about how often Bonhoeffer was concerned with what he would wear. He was extremely fashionable, even had a fairly expensive fashion taste. Even into his 30s, he would write home to his mother asking that she might buy him new trousers or shoes. Or he'd send his laundry home to be completed by her. Now the 14 pastors in the room taking this class kind of loved this detail. Not because we want to be like that, not because we think that aspect of Bonhoeffer is admirable... But because it helped us see again he is human with vanities and sin and stuff. Like all of us. Hebrews 11 makes it clear that that faithful motion is not about near-perfect people doing great things. It's about deeply imperfect people moving their muscles in whatever particular way God is leading for such a time as this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, is how the author of Hebrews puts it to deeply imperfect people in chapter 12. In other words, move the muscles and discover the rest that is already ours. What is the faithful motion God calls forth today? What is the building or going or choosing or welcoming motion the Spirit is placing on our hearts wherein, yeah, we don't know precisely how this could possibly work out and yet yet we are confident and we are assured because the God who overcame the power of sin and the power of death itself, this God is at our side. And so it shall be well. 
and love shall prevail. What is the motion the Spirit lays upon our heart this day? And perhaps we ought not answer it too quickly. Because there is an element about motion that requires at least some discernment. My physical therapist went on to mention one little last detail. He said, you know, when fibers of a knotted muscle wind further and further, and the muscle it just gets just really tight, the, the muscle may start to spasm with motion. So while the muscle might start to look like it's moving, the spasm is just a sign. It's so tightly wound from, from having any real healthy activity for such a long time. And there, there's the warning. Hardened muscles can appear to be very active muscles. The Israelites themselves had hardened hearts. But goodness, they were often in motion, wandering in the desert. Later they did. They did try to enter the promised land after God said it was not going to work anymore. And then they were roundly defeated. The people of God were definitely in motion, but it was a spastic motion, a wandering motion, a circuitous motion, a motion that emanated from a place of fear and anxiety. We can have all kinds of motion and activity in our lives and in the church, but is the motion anxious or faithful? Is the motion generated by fears of failure or by an abiding hope in God? The author of Hebrews points back to the Israelite experience because he knows how tempting it is for every generation of followers of God to look out at our lives and our world and we see the people, we see the particular situations, we see the unhealed pain of Charlottesville and our country, we see profound injustices, we see wildfires and hurricanes, we see the possibility of pain or rejection or failure with something before us even this week, this month. And these challenges God calls us towards are giants. We are grasshoppers. And so with every generation, we can readily name all the reasons it won't work, we will fail, we will falter, it will go awry, it is all just too much. And really the great temptation is not just to sit still and not move. The great temptation is a little bit more deceptive. The great deception... Temptation is to always be busy, always on the move with long to-do lists that make us feel like we are moving something when in fact it's spasms of anxiety. Sometimes all of our motion can be profound inactivity when it comes to the call of Jesus. Lots of movement. Look, my goodness, look how busy I am. Look how busy we are. Look all. But sometimes all of it can be ways we fill up our time, our focus, our calendars, so that we don't have to risk really moving, really lengthening, really strengthening. And of course, extended inactivity only hardens muscle. Our mission at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church is to train grateful disciples of Jesus Christ by doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And perhaps today 
the training session for disciples is a muscle assessment. And the faithful trainer, he speaks by way of Hebrews 4, 7. Today. Today, if you hear the voice of the living God, do not harden your heart. Do not wind into a knot of irrelevance and anxiety. Today, if you hear the voice of the living God, let him summon you. Today, if you hear the voice of the living Christ, let the voice rekindle in you those names and faces of deeply imperfect saints who have gone before and have somehow taken steps of faith. Today, if you hear the voice of the living Christ, let that voice lengthen your muscle with a holy weight, a holy call, a holy task given for just such a time as this. If today... You hear his voice. And where is the unique and authoritative place wherein we hear the voice of the living Jesus Christ? Is it not scripture? And so to end this sermon, I'm going to read a portion of Romans chapter 12. It's this great chapter that lifts all these active motions that comprise the life of faith. No one person can focus on all of these at once. But as a body, as a church, we can collectively put this chapter into fluid motion by the power of God's spirit at work within us. And so what I invite you to do as I read Romans chapter 12, a portion of it, is listen for the particular voice of Jesus to you Today, which of these exhortations, which of these muscle motions of faith does the Spirit lay upon our heart for such a time as this? Because it is the faithfully active muscle that is the one that truly discovers the promise of rest that is already ours. Prayerfully listen to the living Christ. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if 
Your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May the voice of the living Jesus Christ awaken the body into faithful motion. And therein may we discover again the Sabbath rest that is already ours this day and forevermore. Amen.